Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESOAmazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangiboundNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glasper from the Pop Culture Cosmos and Games. How is everybody doing out there? Appreciate you listening to today's program. We're available on each and every week, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. We're also available on a bevy of downloadable channels and, and each and every time you listen to the Pop Culture Cosmos or the PCC Multiverse that appears 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network as well. Streaming options for you, so please, if you get a chance, check us out, especially you know if you're iTunes, and my goodness, the world seems to be on iTunes to get all our podcasts. We're available on iTunes, so rate us and review us there if at all possible, like everybody else on their podcast they want you to do as well so but if you do for ours we truly truly appreciate it also as well we've got google play tune in podcast.com we've got mixcloud we've got stitcher we've also got the eso network the tangent network the gunna geek network as well and of course our newest network the ace podcast network and overcast.fm so uh, here once again with my good friend He's the man, the myth, the legend behind Manican Media, and a man who has yet to see Wonder Woman, shame on you, is Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I, I, I'm going to go see Wonder Woman tomorrow. I just, dude, it's tough, man, like getting people to, uh, everyone I know went to go see it on opening night, and I missed it. So when you're in those kind of situations, I just got to go see it by myself, and then, uh, you know, we can talk about it then. Oh, too bad. 
I was one of those people on that saw it on Thursday. Sorry, we're gonna talk about it tonight. And in fact, all right. If you if you, if you spoil it, I will just sign off of the uh, you know the the movie Wonder Woman itself. You can catch that review right on our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Uh, a lot of great things that are in there that tells exactly what I liked, what maybe I didn't like, performance-wise, what stands out. And I'll give some of that little bits and pieces here today. I'll try to evade a lot of spoilers, but there may be some little uh, spoilerish things that, that we're going to discuss. So Josh and everybody out there listening, I do apologize. But the big news is that film history has been made, box office actually history has been made because Wonder Woman has well, for all intents and purposes, hit $100 million domestically on the box office this past weekend, which is a first, not only for, you know, as far as Wonder Woman is concerned, but also for Patty Jenkins, the first female director to direct a film that's garnered so much in a first weekend for domestic film. So I ask you first off, right off the bat, and it's also done very well internationally, what does this do for female directors as far as broadening their horizons and allowing them to even get cast and, and get appointed even bigger movies with even a larger scope. Okay, I might be unpopular for having this opinion, but I think that it shows two things. One, it shows us that, uh, <clears throat> or it shows studios and fans that uh, female directors are perfectly capable of handling big budget films and doing great things with them and succeeding. But it also proves that the whole stigma that people think that studios and big corporations and, and just people in general have against feet having female directors is completely overblown. I think that, you know, I, before Wonder Woman came out, I was seeing all this stuff on social media about people saying, Oh, Hey, uh, you know, they're trying to get people riled up and saying, Hey, Warner brothers wants this video, this movie to fail. And you know, they're, uh, they want the, since she's a female director, they wanted her to fail as a female led movie, which doesn't make sense because they wouldn't be dumping, you know, over a hundred million dollars into a film like this to, you know, just because they want it to fail. So it also proved that there's, you know, the stigma is not as bad as we tend to think it is. Well, those are some good points indeed, but I want to ask you even further now that it looks like there's now something really positive for the DC extended universe to actually hang on to because uh, there's been universal praise of the film. The, the film has actually garnered over 90% positive re reviews on, uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Um, our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, I did a review for it. I gave it some, some very positive uh, feelings as well. Um, I just think that the movie itself is, is definitely a, a step in the right direction for the DC Extended Universe. What do you think a positive jolt does for, for the actual DC Universe as a whole? Because I'll tell you what, you know, with even though with, with three films, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and also as well, Suicide Squad, garnering a combined $2 billion, it seemed like there was a lot of dismay a lot of bad word of mouth and angst over the actual uh, you know, DC universe itself over those three films, which really, really put a lot of pressure on this film to succeed. I think we need to define failure first. So we need to look at, uh, everyone says uh, Batman vs Superman, Suicide Squad, et cetera, were, were bad movies, but they, yes, the, I, I didn't like them personally and they weren't well received by critics, but they still made a whole lot of money. So I wouldn't consider them to be 
as much of a failure as uh, you know studios and the media and film critics would have you believe. Um, but Wonder Woman, I think it did leave a bad taste in the fans' mouths. I think that's the important thing that we need to take away is that uh, you know they they hit some some rocky patches. But Wonder Woman, I'm hearing talk from people who haven't even seen any of the other other uh, DC movies saying that like this was a great film. So. I think that Wonder Woman is kind of a, a palate cleanser, if you will, from the last movies. Though Man of Steel, I let, let me ask you this: Did you like Man of Steel? Because I thought that it was I thought it was a really good movie. I I loved it personally. My personal feelings on Man of Steel, I thought it was about thirty minutes to forty five minutes too long. I thought if it was uh, you know, reduced a little bit overall, I think the film would have sufficed a lot better, and I think it would have made for a lot better narrative. I think it had issues with the connection between Zod and uh, Jor-El himself, but just as far as the, the the all the other added stuff as well between uh, you know Clark Kent and obviously Lois Lane, and just it just didn't seem to have the same kind of special vibe and connection that obviously previous iterations of the Superman series has done, uh, and I think done a little bit better, especially obviously the the Christopher Reeve version. But I think also as well that it just took too long to actually tell this entire narrative. And had it been cut down 30 or 45 minutes shorter, maybe would have made for a much better film, in my impression. That's the least. So so continue what you were saying. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I guess I would rank them like, I haven't seen- Or, or you could always tell me what you told me with King Arthur. That you're wrong. I, I don't. I don't know if I necessarily disagree with you on this one. I I, I love Man of Steel. Like I thought that it was a great movie and it was a a uh, Superman film that we've never seen before, which was exciting. I I hated Superman Returns. I I don't know. I just did not like that movie at all. It was super boring to me. But um, yeah, I think that the Man of Steel was good. And I thought that that was going to be the president. And but you know, with Suicide Squad and Bat, uh, Batman v Superman. I, there were points in the movie where I just, I couldn't, I kept, you know, looking at my watch or wondering when the movie was going to end. So I'm hoping, from what I understand, Wonder Woman doesn't do that. And it's interesting all the way through. So we'll just have to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to see it tomorrow. So I'll, I'll get back to you on that. But uh, yeah, I think that Wonder Woman shows that the DC universe does have legs and it's, uh, you know, it, there is hope for it. Assuming that they get their film schedule organized because it's a complete mess right now. But, you know, we'll see if, uh, Justice League can carry on what Wonder Woman did, or if Wonder Woman kind of is the pinnacle, and then it's all just back downhill from here. That question I want to ask you beyond that is, do you think it's wise now for DC and Warner Brothers to actually start centering its universe around her instead of you know centering around traditional superheroes that they have in the past, like Superman or Batman? Because that really hasn't seemed to gotten them anywhere so far. Mind you, there's still another standalone Batman movie with Ben Affleck coming up in this, you know, not too distant future, and then obviously something again, most likely with Superman as well, because he looks like he's going to be coming back from the dead, quote unquote, so to speak. And then you have uh, Aquaman. Uh, Cyborg now is officially at this point in time still back on a 2020 time frame as well. But do you think it'd be wiser to actually center the universe around her instead of one of them? No, I don't think so. Because uh, I think right now DC has not made the films for like the the fanboys like what we see. I'm 
it's not like a gender thing or anything. It's just the fact that uh, Wonder Woman's good, and I think if they develop her a little bit more, because people don't really know a whole lot about her. She's, you know, they know she's part of the Justice League, but they're, you know, they know she's Amazonian, but they don't know a lot of like. If I went up to someone who said, "Oh yeah, Wonder Woman is good," and I said, "Oh well, can you name me one or two of her villains?" They wouldn't be able to tell me anything. So I think that uh, we just need to see. They need to work, focus on their their properties and focus on Batman, Superman, get the Flash out there, develop their core team. Um, but because really, if developing a story around Wonder Woman, there's not a lot of meat there to uh, to gnaw on, so to speak. So it's. I it would be an interesting move to see if they did it, but I feel like that would be putting too much pressure on what the Patty Patty Jenkins is a director. I think that'd be putting too much pressure on her shoulders to develop a sequel and keep getting bigger and bigger. And then we would have to worry more about studio involvement, which is what plagues Suicide Squad. So it's it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, but I don't think that it would work. She has already indicated that if she were asked to do a sequel, then it would probably be leaning towards present day, because obviously uh, there are there are things that indicate well. For instance, the fact that she was in Batman v Superman, and then also she's up in Justice Justice League, that it is now moved forward to present day. So if she were to do a sequel, which at this point could be greenlit very very soon, then definitely looks like it'll be happening in the modern universe uh, so it fits somewhere in the timeline as well but like i said like you said i I agree with you the list of villains that are well known in the wonder woman universe are few and far between as opposed to obviously what batman and even superman to some extent um, have have created in their universe so it would be a little bit harder to create a well-known adaptable villain that people could identify with unless it came from maybe another universe but we'll have to wait and see um just overall your thoughts on the actual success of wonder woman is it something that you thought was going to happen is it going to be a surprise or do you actually think that it's going to be something that that definitely uh is is going to be taking place again and again and again and again in the future for dc films um i don't i didn't so much look at it as something that i wanted to happen as much as something that needed to happen and i hope that it does take place again and again as we keep going hope justice league is just as good the flash batman obviously um batman needs to be good especially after the standard that chris nolan set but um yeah it's just one of those things like it hopefully it does i hope wonder woman's not the pinnacle and it keeps going downhill from there but uh yeah, we just have to kind of wait and see what happens. Hope, hopefully the rest are good. I, I hope that they continue to develop the characters, but we'll, uh, we'll have to see. There's a lot of – they need to go reach beyond their, their talent pool, though. They need to stop, like, having Zack Snyder do everything. Like, he's – you know, it's debatable whether or not his stuff is really, like, award-winning or anything. But, yeah, they just need to keep uh, seeking out talent like Patty Jenkins and uh, go from there. Well, obviously, having Joss Whedon now, he's taking over the final touches, as we mentioned on a previous podcast, of the Justice League. So maybe uh, even a deeper involvement from Joss Whedon, seeing how he's responsible a great deal for the success of the Marvel Universe when it comes to the Avengers and whatnot. So maybe that can lead to better things for the DC Extended Universe. 
to piggyback off the success of Wonder Woman this past weekend. And that's definitely some great news indeed for movie fans. And now that they have some hope for some great things down the road for, for the DC Extended Universe, we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out in November with Justice League and going forward as well. What are your thoughts on Wonder Woman? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Explain to us why. Did you think Gal Gadot, uh, like I indicated, I really think, uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, she does have that it factor. I think she's really going to be a, a star in the making here if she's not already, and, and definitely has a, a lot of great potential for, for a long time to, to do things as far as the movie industry uh, very few have done. Let us know your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, it's going to be another great episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. It's going to be another great show. And, and speaking of Humanic Media, Josh, tell us what's going on with the great things that's going on with your channel known as Humanic Media. Uh, there's a few podcasts coming out. I can't give you any dates yet because I don't know. I've gotten kind of backed up with a few other projects I've been working on, including a uh, trailer for my book that's coming out. Um, but, yeah, if you guys just keep following the page, pay attention to what's going up, uh, things will pop up there and you'll be able to see them. We are recording a new Topicocalypse this week as well as a new uh, Super Bro Station. And then Saturday we'll record a new What About This? So there's definitely stuff coming up, but I can't – I don't know any, like, exact dates right now. And you recently did some promos as well. Isn't that correct for something coming up in your in your near future? Yeah, we did a promo today for a – book that I'm working on coming out here in the summer. Uh, you'll be able to see it soon. It's called Congratulations, You Suck. And we've been talking about it forever, and it's finally coming out. I feel like George R. R. Martin, I keep promising you things. It looks like I was going to be 80 years old and dying before I finally released it. So good news. It's finally coming out. The, the uh, you know w Winter's coming, but it'll be out before winter. So there's that. Fair enough, indeed, and if you want all the latest updates on what's going on with Humanica Media, just check them out. Humanica Media on Facebook, Twitter, and they're, of course, their great YouTube channel as well. They've got a lot of great, also, game uh, from, from Prey and, and also a lot of other Final Fantasy. Check that out. They've got a lot of great videos there to check out as well, Humanica Media on YouTube. And again, if you want to contact them or find out what's going on in the latest in the world of Humanic Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. So like I said, we got a great show for you today right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. But first, we've got a great song coming up from Elijah Harrison, better known as Plasma Z. And this is Mango. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos.
that was Plasma Z. Check out his entire list of great tracks today on SoundCloud. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, if you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that putting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways. So if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today. 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach. And get your home looking great with Always Green Synthetic Turf and Putting Greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse channels. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. The guys from the What About This podcast are back with some more great conversations. We fast forward today and, you know, us waking up from shame is like coming out of the matrix, you know, we got all like, uh, pulling all the tubes yeah. out and then, but it goes back to like objective view. Why can't they see what I see? Like, how am I going to make myself vulnerable and put myself out there without right. them knowing where I'm coming from? Fantastic. Yes. And so we have like, even today's society's definition of acceptance yeah. is not real. It's like, right. I'm accepting you because it makes me feel better as a human right. being about whatever it is yeah. you want. Yeah, well, to, yeah we're constantly so rejecting and shame. accepting things in order. So if I reject something, what I'm doing is I'm trying to find my identity in it. If mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about that, I'm not. And when I say I'm not about that, it's also it, what it's doing is I'm saying that's part of who I am. Right. And so we, you know, we're compelled by things or we're, we're repelled by things. And I would even say there's, there's an element of, of, no, it's, you know, the jealousy factor is you are compelled by it, but you're jealous. So you can't be compelled by it instead of the appreciation yeah. and, and understanding like the complexity of each kid. Yeah. That, like you didn't have three of the same. And even if you had triplets, they ain't the same. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're constantly absorbing what society wants from us so even if we're like we're aware of of this we we tend to get buried beneath what everybody else is thinking or projecting yeah yeah and i think i think that's why shame is the starting point to transformation identifying shame looking at shame seeing shame calling shame what it is it's like a it's like a car our soul is like a dirty car, mm-hmm. you know, that has just a, a bunch of dirt on the outside and water everywhere. Yes. Identifying shame is like the car wash, right? Where there's a whole bunch of stuff inside of it that still needs to be like sifted through and worked on. But when we when we see the shame, we, we call it what it is. And it's like we get this like nice car wash for our car so that we can at least see 
inside and, and see like what, what's down there and what's you going know, on. You know, you just made me think about with your car illustration is white. Why do people buy white cars? Because they don't look as dirty. Yeah. And so it's almost like we're like the white, we're like these white cars yeah. mm-hmm. and they're like, and then, and then you, like you said, you take it to the wash and you go, yeah. oh, it, oh, there was a film. You, yeah. but you know what, you know what, you know what, yeah. you know what my, where my mind took me to is like, why do people write wash me on those cars as if they're shaming the they're car not, that it's dirty? That's like, shame. You're like, what? shame tactics, like, guys. You're like, I know my car is dirty. You don't need to write wash no, Keith, me on Keith, it. Because there is, because right, if you're 40 so years old and up, right. if you don't have a, your car no, but is I, not clean, but I just, you are not, I just a, think that's you're a not a whole person. I just think that's right. a funny impulse. And it's what it we've is. been talking about. It's a funny impulse for like the 16-year-old kid because he thinks it's funny, which is the worst right. form of humor. But why would they but even like, do this? Because the 45-year-old... Right. Right. right, no, I understand it. I just, why, but let's let's same, take it a step a, further. It's part of the same system. Let's yes. take it a step further. Absolutely. Why, Absolutely. why do you feel super uncomfortable? I'm not saying us. I don't think four of us fall into this category. But why do a lot of people feel so ashamed when somebody comes over to their house and it's yes. not clean, right. spotless? What do you say? Don't go in that room. Do right. not, do yeah. not... Go in. We pretend to be something we're not in the moment. It's just, it's right. yeah. like, how is there a better picture of just our souls? Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't look at that part. Yes. Yeah. You know, let's not talk about. Because, don't do that. Again, again, but going back, but going back to Travis's point, because there's a vulnerability in inviting, inviting, not even just having someone stop by your house, but inviting someone over in. when your house is a mess. That's the What About This podcast, available today on all Humanican media outlets. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. The guys from the Super BS Gamescast share their thoughts on the latest video game news. So yeah, that was kind of the only cool news I really read. There was some other like fun stuff, but the Mario RPG was kind of like the big one this week. I have week. a question for you guys. Yeah. So obviously you know that Netflix is making a Castlevania show. Oh. Do you think... Cause, okay. Did you watch the trailer? I watched the trailer. Okay. Do you think that they can really capture the magic that is Castlevania I've never been a Castlevania. Yeah, I've never been a Castlevania fan. That's So I don't... I'm the worst person to ask. I've played one game. Or no, I played two. They, uh, they were always really intriguing to me. Did you play them? Yeah, they had, the stories had a lot of layer. I played Symphony that. of the Night and Super <laughs> Castlevania 4. Like... Yeah, played Bloodlines, Symphony of the Night. You guys are um, Lord of Shadows. No, played I didn't play the, uh, any of the 360 games. I think Those I, look cool. I, I think bought. I played one. some of the first Lord of Shadows. I, I think I own it. I, I don't remember if I sold it or whatever. Those are the whatever, Kojima ones, right? Yeah, yeah, they looked cool. They looked really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I you know Netflix is doing a lot of game stuff. They also announced The Witcher this week. Yeah, that they're going to do a Witcher uh, series. 
I saw the trailer for the Castlevania game. It's an anime. Um, you know, I'm not a huge anime fan. There are like some things I enjoy, like Attack on Titan. Yeah, I, I think, don't know. I wish that it was in. Is it in at all? Remotely, kind of the art style for all of the promo work. Uh, it looks like a anime? basic anime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was this I mean, it looks me. very nice. Like, like it looks good. how hard it is it in this day and age to like, um, like adopt a unique art style. Like if you, you know what I mean. Like, My guess is they just keep this, paying the same artist. This is literally you know? your typical anime. Style yeah, it's it. yeah because the all the like the box art and promo art for Castlevania games are like, always cool. Yeah, like, it's like it's anime ish, but everyone's like really pale and the colors yeah. are really wispy and stuff like that. Yeah. Why can't they just make a show that like why can't it look like that? Yeah, like, why does it have to look like? I think it's because yeah, I was reading this on Kotaku recently. Anime people get paid so little money that most of them do like five different shows at the same mm-hmm. time. My guess is they're just hiring like a similar team that's already doing like a bunch of other shows. So yeah. I, I don't know. I am less interested now that I saw the trailer. I was originally hoping it was going to be live action. I think that's they said anime, but I'm still hoping The Witcher will be live action. But I'm assuming it will also be CGI or anime. It's stupid not to make The Witcher live action. I'm almost positive they're not. I'm pretty sure really? I read that it's going to be CGI or anime. It's, it's or weird because it's the. The creators of the game don't have anything to do with The Witcher. Yeah, it's just the author. the guy who wrote the books. And because I, I almost wouldn't be surprised if he sold it to Netflix because he made so little money because he was an idiot on uh, the games. Because yeah, he's, he's so bitter about that, too. Well, yeah, it's his fault. He hated video games, so he yeah. sold them the license or whatever for, like, nothing with no royalties. Or he sold it not for nothing. He sold it for a decent price, but he didn't want any royalties because he just wanted to get his money and leave. He's like, video games aren't important. Yeah, stupid, uh. Uh, whatever, that guy sucks. And uh, we'll see how The Witcher is. I've heard the books are cool, so I'm hoping it's a cool show. Netflix has is just like literally shotgunning shows out now, so I don't know. That's the Super BS Gamescast, available today on all Humanica Media outlets. Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry, that quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. Check it out. Every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network. And we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening out there. Once again, check out our shows every Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Podcast Radio Network. Also as well, Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, it's the PCC Multiverse. And if you can't, check out our shows on the Podcast Radio Network because maybe time, family, you know, what have you. We understand our shows are always available for download each and every week on all of our great downloading and streaming options, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast.com, Google Play, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gun and Geek Network as well. And then also Ace podcast network and overcast.fm we're now up to 11 strong as far as affiliates are concerned and we truly appreciate each and every one of them 
that's allowing us to play some great, great uh, pop culture Cosmos stuff for you each and every week indeed. So Josh, I know you heard the news recently that Nintendo, one of our favorite topics each and every time that we go to it, they've done it again. Their vaunted online service for the for the uh, you know for the Switch uh, will be coming out, not as quite as early as they had planned. It's coming out in 2018, and it's coming out you know at a fair price, twenty dollars for a year, which is actually pretty good pricing. And you'll be able to get some free games which is kind of cool as compared to ps4 and also as well uh you know well actually playstation plus and also as well xbox one which try to also give you their game give you free games as well each and every month for for being a part of the service even though their service is a little bit more costly but i want to ask you is the 20 dollars service that they're proposing with nes game downloads being part of the package that's right, the Nintendo Entertainment System, not Super NES, not Wii, not GameCube, not Wii U, just for right now, NES with added features, quote unquote, that they said they were going to put in. Is that going to be enough to satisfy the general consumer? Because we, we know the Nintendo hardcores, they, they appreciate anything they, they can get from Nintendo that they see as a fair value, which is great. And, and I appreciate the, you know, the fact that they love to support their product. But do you see for the general consumer that this is going to be enough to, to get them enticed into getting one of those red hot Nintendo switches? No, absolutely not. I think at E3, Nintendo is going to be handing out little like bottled water. That's going to be filled with the tears of their fans. And because let me ask you this. Okay, so would you rather pay $20 a month for, you know, quote unquote, uh, NES games for your Nintendo Switch, whatever they end up being, whatever that service ends up being, when you can just go out and buy like one of those, um, you know, one of those sec second, uh, secondhand systems or whatever that they sell like around the holiday times that has like the built-in hard drive and which is 20 bucks and comes I, with I like... I recently interviewed Hyperkin, which actually has uh, something coming out that, that does that for you. Yeah, so I mean, why am I going to pay $20 a month when I can pay like a $40 base fee and just get hundreds of Nintendo games on a hard drive? Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it just, to me, it does not look like a comparative value at all, even though, uh, you know, Xbox Live and, and uh, PlayStation Plus are more than twice the, the, the value for a year as far as, as far as paying for it twice the cost but the tremendous value that you get seems to be much more inherent with xbox one and the playstation plus where you can get current modern games like for instance on playstation plus this month you can be able to get games like killing floor 2 and life is strange which when especially in the case of life is strange that's a game i want to play that's a game that was that's been very highly rated which a, I've always been on my radar and I have never gotten the chance to play, but now I'm going to see if I can go ahead and download it because it's, it's free on PlayStation plus. So those are really good games that are, that are coming out and Xbox one, they, from you know, each month they go ahead and, and, and provide games. Some of which are really, really quality games, which are current, which are modern, which are for the most part are, 
are available to this system that were made for the current systems that we're on. Sometimes you'll get some PS3 classics or some Xbox backward compatible classics that you can also play, which are, you know, okay, they're one generation behind. But when it comes to Nintendo Switch and all the best that they can offer you is stuff from the 1980s and 1990s, it uh, seems very, I don't know, it just seems very, uh, you know, I, I guess the word I'm trying to say is just it's just not not even close to becoming a bargain. It just seems like a, a bad value overall. So I ask you, Josh, as someone who does have a Nintendo Switch, what do you think Nintendo should do about an online service? Yes, it does provide online multiplayer for games that are out there when the service comes live, which obviously is needed if you want to go ahead and do Mario Kart, Splatoon 2, what, what have you. So it's going to become a necessity if you want to play games like that. But what are you looking for as far as with the Nintendo Switch and the Nintendo online service that will make you join and buy it? Uh, to be honest, at this point, I probably won't buy the online Nintendo service just because, okay, look at it. I love Xbox because everything is so simple. It's user-friendly. I can just plug in my headset, join a, invite my buddies to a, a party. I can sit there and I can play with them and talk with them. But with Nintendo Switch, the headset is plugged into your phone. So not only are you... You know, do you have to worry about the game? Your your headset's not connected to your game. You're basically talking on the phone to people, and I think that is that's stupid. Nintendo does not do a good job of giving the fans simplicity or what they want. And it, you know, as far as like the um, the online play goes, like what? Why am I going to sit there and play Splatoon or Mario Kart online when I can just jump over to another console and play like Halo or? Uh, I don't play Call of Duty, but I can see where the argument can be made for Call of Duty. Um, so what, what is the point? Like what Nintendo doesn't, at this point, they don't have anything to offer me that would make me even want to think about playing those other things. Like I'm still sitting here waiting for a game to come out that I, that I haven't played on other consoles already and that I can sit there and, and have fun with, you know? Are, are you regretting your decision of Nintendo Switch at this time? No, I love playing Zelda, but like I, I'm getting to the point where like it's sitting right here and it's like collecting dust. I haven't touched it since I finished Zelda, so I'm hoping with E3, I know Mario's coming out and there's some stuff I want to play there, but I really just I want them to release a game. If not, like <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do with this console. I feel like I wasted my money. Well, I definitely agree with you on the fact that Nintendo really does not have a true concept of providing a value for the money. Um, but unfortunately, when you're, it has such a fervent, hardcore base that quite often they don't need to understand what a good value is in regards to providing uh, you know, something that, that should be equate to, to whatever it is that, that people are spending on it. Because as we've seen, especially in recent months, Nintendo fans, hardcore fans, are willing to spend over and above and beyond for a system, for a game and a controller. Because look, right now it costs what, $400, $450 for, for all three of those things I mentioned right now? I mean, I'll, right now on an Xbox One and PlayStation 4, you can get that for $100 less and, and then some. And it just, if you look at it black and white, if you look at it on paper, it doesn't make any sense. But then again, in reality, look, Nintendo fans are eating this up at this point in time, and more power to them if they are. They, 
wanted to do it, that's fine. But as long as they keep doing so in great numbers, Nintendo's going to keep providing services, basic services that are lacking, that are somewhat behind the times, that are still rudimentary and, and outdated, and also costly and not, not exactly price-friendly or effective. And that's, that's basically what you're asking for is what you're getting. I know there's still a lot of Nintendo fans out there. I see them every day. I communicate with them every day. And I, I like I said, I, I appreciate what they do. I've had Nintendo systems in the past. And and I do do like the quality of stuff that they have. And obviously, when they can bring out a Zelda that looks like it's going to, at this point, be the game of the year. And obviously, followed up with a Mario Kart 8, which is, you know, obviously a, an updated version, but still obviously very good value indeed for, for that game. But there's also Splatoon 2 and ARMS, which look like they're pretty solid choices as well. But after that, I can see what your point gets into is like there's really not much to the system after that. And so Nintendo has to keep on developing it. But they also have to start getting the mentality that if they want to provide general consumers out there the opportunity to have a good value, they need to offer it at a decent and fair price and, and or at least you know, console standards as far as uh, online uh, connectivity, online performance, online values, and things comparative to the actual competitors that they're trying to deal with on a daily basis. Otherwise, at some point in time, the general consumer is going to push back and push back hard. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think right now Nintendo has the, the on their side, they have the, the idea that people like to have what... Uh, you know what other people want so it's like this this demand for the switch is really high and people want it's based strictly on the fact that it's really hard to find but the same thing happened with the nintendo wii if you remember and then as soon as you know the market got oversaturated people were selling them back to video game stores just as quick as, as quickly as they can i know like uh, there's some uh stores where you can sell games down here and they're just they, they can't hardly get rid of them so uh that that's interesting in that aspect but i think eventually you know, we, we could hope that fans are going to wake up and see, like, you know, if, if they don't start offering us things, they're, why are we going to keep purchasing Nintendo products? Like, uh, Xbox at launch, they had, they didn't have the best titles, but they had, they had titles. They had stuff that you could keep playing, and they weren't rehashed games from other consoles, with the exception of Assassin's Creed. And with PlayStation 4 possibly getting even cheaper here in the next few days, and Xbox One may soon follow after that with their base models, it, it, you know, it's getting harder and harder to, to see people switching to the Switch unless they get a better concept of exactly value for, for what you're paying for. Because I really don't think a $20, even though it's a $20 online service per year, providing NES games to, to a lot of fans, once the novelty wears off, it's probably not going to do it. They'll want Wii, Wii U games. They'll they'll want you know like Bayonetta two. They'll want Pikmin. They'll want they'll want they'll want modern games on their service added free each and every month, just like you can get from PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live. What are your thoughts on the new Nintendo online service? Let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well. American Media, Game Source, and Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, 
head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Great to be back here with you. Check us out every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. Also, as well, we have our sister show, the number one show, three months, and I'm hoping it'll be four months in a row, the Pop Culture Cosmos show. Either which way, we just truly appreciate you listening to our shows. The Pop Culture Cosmos show every Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, also on the Podcast Radio Network. And if you can't catch our shows live on the Podcast Radio Network as they uh, air, tell you what, you can always download our shows on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Gunna Geek Network as well, the Ace Podcast Network, and Overcast.fm. And if you download our shows at any point in time, either the Pop Culture Cosmos or PCC Multiverse, you will get an extra bonus episode from either Humanity Media, Rob McCallum Films, Wine Women and Words, or Game Source as well, just for listening. So, Josh, we are at the halfway point, the halfway point of 2017. There's been a lot of great things that we've, we've seen so far this year. Uh, and a lot of great things we've actually played and a lot of great things we've actually uh, just just watched on TV or streaming service as well. So I want to get your thoughts on the best TV or video program that you've seen this year, the best film that you've seen this year so far, and also the best video game you've played so far this year best show that i've seen was that the first one yeah best show tv show or you can go movie or you can go video game first your choice any order just which is the best media that you've seen from all three of these genres uh, um I'm trying to remember i i want to say stranger things was my is my pick here but i think that came out last year so i'm gonna go with i haven't watched a lot of tv this year i noticed so um what I have been into is uh, Black Sails, so I'm, I'm going to say the the ending of Black Sails was quite epic, as far as that goes. Um, but let's uh, movies. Okay, so best movie I've seen this year. You're going to disagree with me highly, but I'm going to say King Arthur. Um, Gerald, I disagree with you highly, Gerald. <laughs> uh, no, it's maybe I just haven't seen enough movies this year, but uh, yeah. That was, that was the most entertaining to me. And the be- what was the last one, best video game? Yes, the best video game that you've played this year. Zelda Breath of the Wild. That's my pick right there. It, it's, it was one of those, because I, I had gone into it never playing a Zelda game before. Like you're gonna, I, I started, uh, it was the one that came out on Wii, and I, had, I didn't finish it. I played it for like an hour, and then I stopped. But uh, this one actually is the first time I played a Zelda game from start to finish. It looked beautiful. Played beautiful, uh, you know, it was intriguing, it was fun, and it was just uh, an all-around good time. And now my uh, Switch is collecting dust, so that's cool. Well, that's what we had anticipated with a lot of other users, that once they've gone all out on Super Mario Kart and also as well The Legend of Zelda, that there really wasn't much left. The ARMS demo that came out was, was a great way to try and keep that interest, but... I don't know if it's going to keep a lot of fans' interest long-term. 
but we'll see. We'll, you know, ARMS, hopefully when it comes out, will hopefully reignite that love for the Nintendo Switch that people have. Otherwise, it's going to be a little while before anything comes out worthwhile on the Switch. But I can tell you honestly that from what I've seen in all appearances this year, it looks like the hands down so far at this point, especially with Red Dead Redemption 2 not going to be coming this year, looks like, I don't want to say you can already give them the title, but it looks like at this point, if you don't agree that Legend of Zelda is the best game this year, then I don't know, you, you might be missing the point because I give it to Nintendo. They really know how to uh, every now and then bring out a, a game that that's worth playing across the board. So definitely Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild looks like it's going to be the the game of the year at this point. But, you know, there's a half the year ago, so you can't give it totally to them yet. But I think the universal praise indeed is is well worth it and well warranted. You know, although there's some that disagree, I know we talked about, uh, you know, in the past that, that there's some individuals like, for instance, Doug and, and Nicole at, at Retro City Games, they didn't love it as very much as much as uh, a lot of other individuals have. But, uh, you know, when there's been, I, that's the one thing, I think there's not been a whole lot of great games that have come out to this point that have really stood out beyond Breath of the Wild. Uh, I mean, Neo, I know some JRPGs have come out there that have, you know, made a nice imprint at so far this year as well. But I just think at this point in time, you, you have to give it to Zelda at this point in time. As far as TV shows are concerned, I was thinking about that uh, for quite a while. I haven't seen, again, it's been a little bit of a down year for television on the quality of television so far. Because Westworld really was kind of all over the place for me. Uh, depending on the episode, I probably have to say Into the Badlands. If you get a chance to see Into the Badlands, I think it will surprise you on on, on the fact that it's it's it quality. It's not just all about the martial arts and whatnot. That it actually does have some substance and does have some some story. And and I hope people will get a chance to see it and and stick to it. It's been renewed again for another season, so obviously it's doing well for AMC. It looks like it's a strong pick indeed as far as a, a very solid series to get behind into the Badlands indeed. And for a movie, sorry, Josh, it's not going to be King Arthur. I do apologize for that. But I will say that if you get a chance to see Get Out, that is definitely the surprise so far. I haven't seen John Wick 2. I'm planning to see John Wick 2 very soon. Uh, and also as well, Fate of the Furious. Uh, I'm hoping to see that as well in the near future. But for right now, I have to probably say Get Out. Uh, Get Out leads the contenders as far as so far for me for best movie at the halfway point. Josh, any thoughts? Go ahead. You can critique me now if you want. Sorry, what what did you say your game was? The game was, uh, I'm agreeing with you on Zelda. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I never saw Get Out. I, I wanted to. Everyone keeps telling me to watch it, so eventually I'm going to have to sit down and watch it. But uh... Statement aside, I think it is just really just a quality film effort. I, yeah, I just, I just see the direction of it uh, as far as the way it goes about telling its tale and telling its narrative was really well done. Yeah, I mean, that's what I hear. I don't, you know, what political statements, whatever, but it's... It uh, it looks like a, a well done movie, well crafted, well directed, and I'm really kind of disappointed that uh, Jordan Peele didn't want to take on Akira because that could have been something magical. I know, yes, it's the second time you mentioned that. So definitely, I think maybe it's just that's a 
I don't want to say a destined to fail type project, but if you don't go all the way in to it and you don't make it, if you don't make it a really high quality film, you're not going to be able to um, get out of it what you want to get out of it. And there's going to be a lot of backlash, don't you think? Like Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, that that's true. That's true. But it's, eventually you're going to have to take a chance on something. I mean, what what we've learned this year is that people I mean, there's don't... a difference from stepping in and, and uh, helming the un- Uncharted movie than, than going maybe something that's so iconic, like doing a live-action version of Akira. Yeah, but what, we, what we're learning this year, or what I'm learning from, from critics, is that they don't like original concepts. They don't like original concepts that aren't aimed at, you know, your Grammys. They don't have your you know, your, whatever your diversity, your social issues, whatever it is, they, they don't like movies that are just out to have fun. Like it's, if it's not a fran if it's not franchise based, it's, if it's not franchise based, then it's, it's just something that they, it's, it's going to have a really hard time getting past some of these snobby critics that are out there. Couldn't agree with you more on as far as the way that they're perceiving films at this point in time. But uh, your thoughts on the 2017 halfway point so far, what are some of your picks as far as games, television, and movies? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Plus also as well, Humanican Media, PopCultureCosmos, and GameSource as well. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry, that quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. Check it out every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network. And we're back here to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Lasford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part and listening in on the number one show for the past three months right here on the Podcast Radio Network. Uh, we truly appreciate your time in listening to our show, and it's just fantastic that you're here each and every week listening to us. I uh, want to close out the show with some thoughts on a game series that's going to be coming back again, whether we as gamers like it or not, because EA recently made the official announcement that, again, like the Top Gun series, we've got the need, we got the need for speed, because Need for Speed Payback is coming this November to consoles, PC, the whole nine yards. So I ask you, Josh, in a nutshell, I mean, this is several iterations into the Need for Speed series. It really hasn't moved the needle either which way. It's obviously sold enough to, to warrant several iterations already. But in gamers' eyes, it's never really been a series that I think people could just either are dying to see it or really care if it's still there or not. So. I ask you, with, with the Forza series now being the, the premier racing league uh, as far as gaming is concerned, iRacing for PC gaming for the high-end market, and then also as well a new Gran Turismo coming out from PlayStation, is there really still a need? Is there really still a need for speed? Uh, hey, 
Bless her heart for trying, man. Uh, it's it's been a while since we've seen a Need for Speed. Well, I I haven't I haven't personally seen the trailers for this one. I, I just read about it a few minutes ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like anyone's gonna be able to take the uh, racing crown away from Forza, but if Need for Speed, if EA wants to try Need for Speed, they've had some fun games in the past. I don't see this being even like a, a nick in the heel of the Forza Empire or Gran Turismo for that matter, but. Hey, if they want to try, I'm sure it'll it, it'll sell. I'm sure because people like those games. But um, you know, it's an interesting game market these days. So we'll see if anyone picks it up because we all think, thought that uh, you know all the new Tom Clancy games are going to do well, and they didn't really sell as well as people had hoped they would. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think people are getting franchise fatigue, and they're kind of burnt out on some of these old properties. And uh, you know, as far as Need for Speed's concerned, we'll see if they can recapture some of that glory. And if not, then uh, that's a lesson learned for EA, I guess. And that's a franchise we probably won't see for a while. So we'll definitely have to take a look and see. But I'm not sure the fans are really going to be really much into a Need for Speed come November when it hits the streets. Because that's right smack dab in the middle of the, well, the largest volume time for for games so maybe putting it there is a good idea so it gets some type of volume but compared to the call of duty compared to star wars battlefront 2 and and a lot of other great things that are coming out in november um the the latest shadow mordor middle earth uh war for middle earth i think it is that is coming out and that's been delayed to october so that even puts more pressure on for for a lot of quality games right there so People like you and I are not going to have that much money left over for fringe titles such as Need for Speed, and especially if Gran Turismo may come out at that point in time, maybe another Forza, who knows? Uh, it's just a wait and see right now, but definitely some some choices going to be out there on the racing horizon, but will it be enough for you? Actually, let, let me ask you this. Everybody out there. Do you, will you have the need? Will you have the need for speed with a new EA version of Need for Speed? Let us know your thoughts, your game source, excuse me, Pop Culture Cosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, and Humanity Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, uh, it's been another great episode indeed of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. We truly appreciate you being part of the program again if you have any questions let us know we'd be glad to to read your questions on the air or send them back in person because we're just you know so thrilled to have such a, a great listening base already and we just hope to grow it even further in the coming weeks josh any last thoughts on the way out um no i think we covered everything but uh yeah pay attention to our e3 adventures uh we'll be updating you guys as soon as we can and uh you'll have some live stuff coming at you from the from the ground floor so uh yeah thanks for tagging along definitely need and you're actually going to go see wonder woman is that correct i am going to see wonder woman tomorrow it's definitely a, a step in the right direction for dc and warner brothers indeed so for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford, and it's another beautiful day in paradise here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. What's the, uh, what's the strangest thing that has happened this week? Which is a big icebreaker brought to you by Mason Kramer, twitch.tv slash glitchcat7. I want to hear about the adventures of you two this week. What happened? Okay, thanks for uh, the icebreaker <laughs> brought to you by glitchcat7. Oh, did it? I think I told you, Jay, there was a... Remember I texted you a couple of days ago and I asked you if you guys were jamming because I could hear a band in my neighborhood somewhere? Yes, I remember that, Glenn. I finally discovered the mystery band in my neighborhood. It was FM ninety six. So I could hear um, a couple <laughs> From of the weeks junkyard. Ago, I'm upstairs in my house a couple of weeks ago, and I can hear music. And initially, I thought it was somebody playing music really loudly somewhere. But then, I, I don't know how to describe it, Jay. You know how when you hear live drums at a distance, and you can just tell it's somebody actually playing drums as opposed. To- yeah, there's that weird kind of echo. Yeah, like there's it just feels a little different. So I'm like, oh, cool. There's a band jamming somewhere. But it didn't sound like it was loud enough to be right next door to me, so I figured it was just somewhere in the neighborhood, and I was actually just hearing, the, you know, the sound kind of drifting out from somewhere. Uh, I discovered last night they actually are right next door to me. There's a, there's a band like jamming in the living room of the house next door. Oh no way! Oh, that's pretty cool. They're Mystery pretty solved. Too. Five feet away. What uh, kind of music was it? Uh, it was a little of everything. So it was mostly rock stuff, but they were playing something kind of bluesy when I. Uh, when I pulled it into the driveway last night. You know what you got to cool. do, buddy? Take six ginger beers over there, your guitar and amp, and go, hey, hey, I, I play too. I'm your freaky here. old neighbor. Let's play music. That's pretty do you cool. Do, do you do that thing maybe like between songs where you open up your window and you start playing your guitar and it's like, I could play too. <laughs> <laughs> you you no. just position yourself enough so they can see you through the I, window. <laughs> the lame thing I was considering doing was I thought about writing a letter and like sticking it in their mailbox and being like, oh. hey, that's awful. Don't. <laughs> I'm your neighbor, and and it's cool you guys would you like band. to jam? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's just yes, no, and then they put maybe. And then send it back. I need to make one of those. What are what are the things that had the four quadrants? <laughs> the whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Pick you a color. Red. R E D. Pick a number. Six. One, two, three, four, five, six. You want to jam? No. N O. <laughs> Welcome to another GamerCast, a spicy ginger week here with Prick Ridge Mouthstain. I'm your host, Rob McCallum, joined by Jay Bartlett, say hi, and Glenn Stanbrick. He's over there wainscotting away in Donaldville. <laughs> I'm actually sweating. That's because you're hunched over your mic on a perch. Oh, I'm too old to be bent like this. <laughs> it is, of course, a good time to record GamerCast. Not much housekeeping. I want to thank everybody who helped 
support the He-Man Kickstarter that ended last week that we smashed through our goal early on and we never knew where it was going to kind of end up and what we could do and we ended up tripling our goal at the literally 10 minutes left we had a donor hit our last stretch goal so i want to thank everybody who topped up their pledge and everybody really helped us on the back day i know prickridge secured his uh blu-ray of eternia i did very nice Even very with nice that 16 dollar shipping and handling fee <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm just going to hand it to you. Don't worry about that. Is there going to be exchange on that, too? <laughs> Pocket the fee. Yes, there is. So I, I pledged $49, and I'm going to give you like 300 Yeah. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. How about you just uh, toss in a little ginger sweat there, too? I'm sure the film will be worth it, so. Yeah. It's you, okay. Yeah. Um, I want to remind people on the Kickstarter note that the box art Kickstarter starts April 19th. That'll be pretty good. And we add new people every day. Facebook.com slash box art doc. A lot of great people announced this week and more incredible ones announced next week. Galaxy Far, Far Away, Podbean. Check it out. You guys are still got some new shows coming out. Yeah. What's next on the horizon for that, Jay? Josh and I just recorded today. And uh, it reminded me very much of when the three of us get together where we just started talking about, you know, there was like some Star Wars game from yesteryear's. And he hit record, and the next thing I knew, it was we were like fifty-five minutes in into the episode before I even got to the outline. So we're just having an absolute blast talking about Star Wars. And uh, are you guys still working on future updates for Dash Quest, uh, Glenn, or are you guys uh, starting development on other stuff in tandem with maintenance of the latest iteration of of Dash Quest? Where's that sit? What's uh, going on at Tidy Titan? Give us the broad overview. When can we expect uh, more updates, new games, and how can we be involved? So demanding, Rob. The answer is yes to all of the above. There are a couple of other projects in the works, which we can't really talk about right now. Uh, as far as DashQuest, though, yeah, we're, we're still doing updates. So we have some really, really big plans about stuff we want to do over the next several weeks. And we're working on a weekly sprint schedule right now, so we're releasing an update about once a week, and the turnover time with Apple has been substantially faster than it usually is. So normally we used to push an update for Android, and we get approval for the Apple one maybe five or six days later. And this most recent update, I think, was like a day and a half. It was an incredibly fast turnaround, so that's pretty awesome to see, too. I'm really curious at what point will I unlock the Easter egg that I get to play as a spaceship turret guy in Dash Quest or, or Happy Death Cube. There is a Dash Cube skin in Happy Cube Death Arena now. Oh, I like that. So That's you can cool. Those are that. other games by Tiny Titan Studios. Uh, spaceship Turret Guy, really fun. I love the graphics on that game. That's super flashy and a lot of fun to play. And, of course, Happy Death Cube. I don't have the dexterity to play that. I hurt my fingers playing it. I'm Happy just not Cube good. is, I think, really underappreciated, actually. I'm really fond of Happy, <clears throat> Happy Cube. That's funny for a guy with your demeanor. It's very fun, very addictive. Uh, once you kind of get a hang of the double jump and the smashing, you can really rack the points up, too. Like, you just kind of get into a groove and... Uh, kind of hard to describe. You kind of get into the zone and you just have a really good run. So once you get a really high score, it's uh, pretty hard to go back. I like it. I also want to thank all our Patreon backers as per usual. We are in the process of finalizing the Power Tour DVD. Hopefully you've been able to respond to our request about having your name included. We basically want to hear if you don't want it included. If we don't hear from you, it's going in there. So uh, thanks again as we finalize those. And uh, everybody that is getting the DVD, you should know that you are getting a ninth episode that is exclusive 
to the Power Tour DVD only. The, the other eight episodes, of course, will stream online and air in New Zealand on The Duke. But everybody else, if you want that ninth episode, you've got to... You gotta get that disc, and it's a, it features a lot of material that we didn't have time to showcase in the other episodes, and some really cool stuff involving people that we know. So definitely check that out. So, in fact, so exclusive that I don't even know what's in that ninth episode. I have no idea. It's a mystery to me too. There's something going on in a couple of months, isn't there? With, with the three of us, there may be something. In the works, we've got to hash out the details, and it's only possible because of Patreon backers, who of course will get an exclusive copy of it, or copies of what we are doing, uh, digitally at least. I don't know if that'll ever make physical, because of the cost associated with that, but we are investing some of the Patreon funds for something kind of fun, so stay tuned for that. And because of Patreon support, we are doing the Twitch screening of Nintendo Quest. So twitch.tv slash glitchcat7 on Sunday, April 24th. There will be three screenings, 12, 2, and 4 Eastern Time to hear from Jay and myself and whoever else from the cast and crew is around to chime in. We're all going to tell you what we think about the experience. And if you have questions for us, keep firing away. Let's, uh, let's get to the goods today, guys. What do we got? Oh, I should say, there are some people that have been quite confused, Mr. Stanbuck, and you and I really didn't do a massive job promoting this or thinking this out, and I said, Glenn, wouldn't it be cool if we put a Patreon version of our episode up for free so people know what they're getting? Yes. Yes, you did. And we've put two up. We, we put have. one in February and one in January, and we have, of course, given our Patreon backers something additional... But people are like, uh, I think you guys put up the wrong episode. This, well, I got the Patreon version, and this is awesome. Yes, it is awesome. That's kind of and the if, idea, folks. <laughs> and if you want the Patreon stuff, just pledge a buck. Patreon.com slash GamerCast. Those are yep. definitely up there on purpose. Rob, so. had, uh, Rob had the brainwave that in order to maybe help people get a sense of what they're missing, it might be nice to actually just let them listen to what they're missing. And uh, Right. So we've done that a couple of times, and we're glad to hear that some people are digging what they're hearing. So. You can get that kind of stuff every week for as little as a buck by kicking into the GamerCast Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash GamerCast. And you can also help fund cool new creative projects like the one that we're mysteriously dancing around right now. I want to talk about it. I can see there's, it in his eyes. He wants to talk about it. There's some new details that we internally have to discuss before we talk about it. So there, I don't, I'm cautiously tapped dancing around the subject now road trip going on a road trip rob you brought something up in gamercast chat this week so we've referred to this before but we have a facebook chat for the three of us where we kind of throw gamercast news back and forth and if we need to talk to each other about the podcast or nintendo quest stuff we do that there sometimes we talk about episode ideas and you'd broach the topic of esports and game broadcasting and really what the role of retro games is in relation to that stuff. And I thought that was really, really interesting. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how retro games work in the current environment of game streaming and esports, what the relevance is and, and how they continue continue to be relevant or what the challenges they're facing as the audiences for both of those things start to expand and continue to expand because they're obviously a huge business right now. I like it. Well, the first thing I'm going to ask you is 
when you think about esports broadcasts or when you think about Twitch streaming, do you guys think that there's an element of showing your audience something new that comes into play? Yes. By by virtue of the immediacy of, that streaming does, the fact that it's live and happening right away, assuming it's not like a, an archived rebroadcast, it is new. Even if it's someone going through an old level, uh, someone that we had seen play before, the fact that it's happening right now makes it new. Yeah, the way people play it. Um, I'm very fond of the Ocarina of Time speedruns on Twitch. I follow a couple couple dudes that do it uh, a couple times a week and the way they cut through they use the glitches to you know beat ocarina in like eight minutes or something crazy like that and they just show you different ways to play like this this one guy will turn around and jump backwards as link the whole way because it's like a fraction of a second quicker than running forwards just things like that that i never would have thought of i remember watching a majora speed run where the guy did that he would he basically backflipped the entire time yeah he's just watching the dot on the map it's insane like, he's not even looking at the main screen for moving around. Part of what I was getting at when I asked that question, guys, is... I don't know if this is a mystery to anybody or not, but newer games tend to really dominate the most viewed things on Twitch. So your top 20 games from month to month on Twitch in terms of your broadcasts tend to either be new games or they tend to be games that are relatively new or have maybe had updates or content added to them recently. So good example is uh, Warlords of Draenor. World of Warcraft continuously makes that list, but it's because they continue to add content and have patches and, and updates come out for it. Why do you think that Twitch streams for newer games or newer titles do so well? What What is the appeal there? Like, why do those things seem to not have trouble drawing an audience? It's a great way to preview a game that you're maybe on the fence about, and you're just watching a regular guy play through it. So if it's not a world record attempt you get to see pretty much from the press start on how the game is played. Yeah, I'd concur with that. Uh, whether it's just to, you know, kind of gauge your own financial investment in something or to maybe just check out a game that you really don't want to buy at all, but you want to know a little bit more about it. So I'm actually curious to watch some people play some Street Fighter V. I'll probably never, ever buy the game. But maybe if I watch enough Twitch and, and I see the culture behind it and the people, I might get interested in it. But it's kind of cool to still learn about it and see what other games are out there and maybe expand your horizons, get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I, I've definitely found that I use Twitch as a way to demo things that I'm interested in, in picking up. So I don't remember if I've talked on the podcast before about a game called uh, Darkest Dungeon. Uh, it just came out on Steam from, from a developer called Red Hook. I don't think I recall that. It's it's like a turn-based roguelike that has somewhat Lovecraftian themes, but you have a party of uh, four heroes. And you're trying to reclaim this estate that you've had left to you, but you realize that the reason the estate's abandoned is because you know your family unleashed some horrible evil kind of underneath the mansion, so you have to kind of clear the areas out around it of monsters. There's a central hub town where you recruit your heroes and you can train them. But there's a big element of uh, your hero's kind of mental well-being plays a really, really big role in the game. So they'll have a stress level, and as you encounter monsters, their stress level goes up. And when their stress level gets to a certain point, they start behaving in really weird ways. Like they'll develop a negative personality quirk that'll affect the way that they that they play from there on out. 
or you'll have guys, uh, uh, your party order has a big effect on how the game plays. So you've got a guy at the back, you have two people in the middle, you have somebody at the front. Certain attacks will only work if your character's in a certain position. But if their stress level's too high, then somebody who's at the back might just automatically decide they want to move to to the front. Because Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and so it, it looks really, really interesting to me, and it's apparently very, very challenging, really, really hard. But I've been finding myself just devouring streams of that game because I love the way it looks and the idea is really intriguing to me. And I haven't committed to buying it yet, but I love watching people play it. Yeah, for me also, on that note, Twitch has taken over, like I don't have cable anymore. So if I just feel like sitting there and being a vegetable, I'll put on Twitch and just... I know it sounds stupid that you watch someone play a game, but yeah, I'll put on a game like that I don't know anything about and just sit there and watch it for, you know, five, ten minutes. It doesn't sound stupid at all. It's big business now, and I do the same thing. We'll try and find something to watch on Netflix, and if that doesn't catch our interest or if we're looking to kill time for maybe a shorter period of time, Twitch will go on, and uh, we'll find a stream or one of the people we follow and kind of see what's up with them, and that's been a very frequent occurrence in my house recently. So to give you guys some sense, um, I was looking at the top five games that were broadcast on Twitch last year, and at least in the fourth quarter of last year, five games made made up 61% of the content on Twitch. So th- these five games accounted for 61% of what people were broadcasting. Can I take a guess? I would think it would be great if you guys took a guess. So okay. try, and, try sure. and guess what one of those five games... Rob, you, you do one, then I'll do one. Uh, Dark Souls? Incorrect. Counter-Strike. Be more specific. Source. No. Dang. Rob? Call of Duty. Also no. What? Seriously? These are your top five, bear in mind, right? That's not to say that none of those games do well, but these are your top five. League of Legends. League of Legends is number one. Hearthstone. uh, (laughs) League of Stones. League of Stones. Hearthstone is number three. Oh, so Dota is number two then. Correct. Okay. Go. You go. That's three of five. No, it's not bad. Bad. Uh, my goodness. No. Give me a hint. I mentioned it already. Red Hook Dungeon Crawler Dirty Town. <laughs> no. <laughs> number four is Warlords of Draenor. Okay. World of Warcraft. Oh, okay. Number five, you were in the wheelhouse, Jay. You didn't quite have it right, though. Uh, counter, uh, whatever the newest Counter Strike is, Global Operations. Oh, okay. So it's Counter Strike or CS:GO, as it's lovingly referred ah, to. Cool. Those five games. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You mean Monopoly or Scrabble? My contribution to to streaming those board games, the Hasbro Collection. Believe it or didn't not, didn't rank up in the top sixty-one percent. Did not crack Weird. the top five. Weird. What? Sixty-one percent of what was broadcast on Twitch in the last three months of last year was those five games. Five games. Wow. The only retro-themed game that cracked the top 20 with any regularity. Can you guys guess what it was? Uh, I'm guessing it's probably NES Remix. You are incorrect. I'm going to guess and say Smash Brothers. Also incorrect. Mario Maker? You got it. So the only game that even had a retro theme that was in the top 20 was Super Mario Maker. What percentage was that at? Uh, I didn't get a percentage on that one, but it, it is consistently in the top 20, and it has been since it was released. Because that's what our good buddy Mason streams. He does uh, a lot of Twitch play on, on Mario Maker exclusively. We're going to get to this in a bit, but I actually okay. spoke to Mason about his decision to stream Mario Maker today, and I have some thoughts on this subject from him as well. Okay. So 
what that makes me want to ask, guys, are this is kind of the the bigger theme of the episode, but do you guys think that retro games are relevant in the Twitch age? And how do you think that streamers can make retro games more relevant or, or streams about retro games more unique? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think, you know, stuff that the pros do, like the speed runs, like Mason does the point pressing, um, just different ways that these guys look at video games. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a skill I've always said I've wanted, the way they dissect it and play games differently than they're supposed to be played. So I think it's cool to watch a guy pop in Mega Man 2 and just destroy it in 10 minutes. I think four of the top five titles that you mentioned all have big cash money prize tournaments involved with them, which is probably why they're four of the top five and people are playing them because there's a chance to get some notoriety, to be a part of a team, to get a cash prize. So in order for Retro to take the limelight, I think it takes stuff like what Nintendo did last year with NWC by putting those old school titles in a tournament form where it's rewarded and there's interest. So for me, I think if retros are going to retro titles are going to take the the a place in those in that top five, regardless of console or or publisher. I think there has to be an organization set around pushing them back into the main light, like an organized esports team or tournament with a cash prize. And I think League of Legends is obviously a fantastic title, but the game is absolutely free. So anybody can play League of Legends right now and then go on Twitch, and it's all free. So I think that also, same with Dota. So I think that's also one reason, too, it's so huge. I think it's commonly known as a best practice with Twitch that you generally want to try and stream the kind of stuff that people are watching, right? It's it's important to try and build an audience by getting people watching games that they're looking to watch anyway. And that's why there tends to be a real big focus on new games. When new games are released, they tend to be really, really hot. And there are some games that are able to maintain that because of the quality of the streamers themselves, like Destiny, for example, still in the top 20 quite consistently. And it's because there are so many well-known, really popular Destiny streamers out there. Uh, King Gathalion comes to mind, uh, Professor Broman. Uh, some of these guys who Bungie's actually brought into their own promotion of, of things like expansion packs and patches. Uh, and that's because they have such a, a built-in audience on Twitch. But uh, you mentioned, Jay, most of your really big retro uh, streamers tend to be guys who do speedruns. Yeah. Or they do challenges. So, you know, you'll, you, you see those guys who do, like, blind runs of you know, Ocarina or whatever, where they blindfold themselves and they play through the game. Or you have a gimmick like uh, Twitch plays Pokemon is a great example of somebody using Twitch as a platform to drive attention to a specific retro game yeah. and do something really, really unique with it. Uh, but I think that's where, I think that's really what it comes down to is for somebody to really drive attention to those retro games, it's not enough to just go, hey, remember this? You have to do something unique or something something kind of special with it once you've got it there and you've got your audience. You're going to see it come out really soon. I, I, It doesn't feel like it's there. I mean, we've talked about how ultimately retro games and even retro game collecting is, is a very niche thing and, and a large scope of where dollars come from in the video game industry. I mean, mobile is destroying everything, right? But with stuff like uh, Rise of the Esports Hero going to broadcast, actually on the Duke alongside Nintendo Quest Power Tour... Uh, and TBS funding stuff and Warner Brothers uh, funding other esports competitions, it's only natural that you're going to see someone want to dip back into the nostalgic games that have set the stage for all these contemporary landmark titles. 
So I don't think it's going to be far off before. And I, I would love to do a retro competition tournament, like involving like ice hockey and blades of steel, you know, or NHL 94, you know, 30 years later kind of deal. I think that would be, bla- that would be a blast. I think one of the cooler things I saw last week is uh, Mason took part in a blind yeah, the uh, Kaiser, Kaiser run um, yeah, with some Kaiser other race. well-known uh, Super Mario Maker streamers. So nobody knew the level going into it. Nobody had a chance to play it. And they all just kind of did a Twitch race across different channels. Now, ironically, Mason was the last to finish, I believe it. But when he finished it, he had the best time. Hmm. So I know he was disappointed. He he didn't necessarily think he would win, but he didn't think he'd be like dead last. Like He was, I guess, 90 minutes or something, and everybody had finished maybe you know, 45 minutes into it. But when he finished, the ironic part was that he had the best time on it, right? So he didn't win the race because it's first to finish regardless of how long it takes the, the specific run. But I think that's still very interesting. Now, we touched on this a little bit already, but with a successful retro stream, how much do you guys think it has to do with the game and how much do you think it has to do with the streamer themselves? 50-50 for me. Yeah, and that's ju- I would say the same. And that's just by watching Mason's stuff. Like, Mason will play a level for, like, 12 hours, right? And so he'll get stuck on the same thing for, like, maybe an hour. And the, and the whole level is only, like, maybe a minute long. But he can get stuck on one obstacle for, like, an hour just trying to get past the next part because it's that hard. So when that's happening over and over and over and over again, the newness of that part wears out. So it's got to be the streamer that pulls you through with, with some sort of entertainment value, whether that's, uh, you know, interactivity with the chat or just natural charisma or just the way they're handling it. There's got to be something above and beyond the game. And usually it's the personality of the people involved, which is something that we've talked about too with the stuff that we do, especially the power tour. Like anybody can go and buy games and put a video online. We see it all the time. But, you know, I think there's something to the way that we like to do things, which is one of the reasons we're on the Duke. Initially for me, I tune in to see the game. Um, but over the years, I've come to specifically tune in and get notifications when certain guys are streaming. Like Enop is my favorite. He always does the Majora's Mask speedruns. And actually, I believe he still holds the world record for uh, fastest completion and then 100% completion, getting all the bottles, all the heart containers, all that stuff. So... Um, initially, at first, for me, it's the game. Do you guys think that the community is more important when it comes to the retro stuff specifically than maybe it is for the newer releases or or the more recent titles? I can relate this to the He-Man Kickstarter. I think that when it comes to retro communities, they're the ones that keep the love for it going strong during the, the down spell. So for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, there hasn't been a new cartoon or a new movie since the 2002 show that had a very short 39 episode lifespan the, yeah there are collector toys and yeah there are some comic books out there right now but it's not the same so it's up to the fan base to carry that love forward i mean i'm sure you guys get the same post that i do how come we can't see more you know retro releases or you know just why is the mega man legacy collection you know not on disc and now it's on disc well it's not good it's twice as much as the you know, the digital. So it's it's up to the retro community to push it forward. Otherwise, it'll be kind of forgotten, I think. I don't understand why there's this divide. I mean, this is going to get into something different, but why is there a retro community and then a current-gen community? Why, For me, personally, I just love games. It doesn't matter to me if it's made today or made 20 years ago. 
Oh, but I think that you're wrong when you say that, Jay, because I think you prefer retro games because they're physical when so many games nowadays are digital and you don't want to play them. Backing up Rob's point is Darkest Dungeon, that game that I was talking about earlier, only available on Steam. There's no physical release of it. Okay, so, right. Usually, 99%, that's the way I am. And we've been talking about, I've been nonstop talking about a little game called Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes that's only digital. And that, you know, if I had known or got into it as much as much as I did last year when it came out, that would have been my game of the year, hands down. And it kills me that I can't have a physical copy of the game, but I still absolutely love it. And there's nothing else right now I'd rather be playing. How would you have a physical copy of a game you play on your phone? I mean, Maybe if... port? No, if they brought it to a console. That game uh, you could charge 80 bucks for. So, Jay, with that as an example, because a couple episodes, you know... You rightfully made a bunch of points about how it's hard to get into stuff that you can't hold and you don't necessarily like a lot of the new releases that you do see on the shelves every day. Does that further want to push you into, you know, experimenting and, and yeah, trying out some more digital games? Especially like yeah. freemium games like this. Yeah, ultimately, my fear is that because I don't have it in a physical form, it will s- somewhere down the road be lost forever whether it's on, on an old iDevice that doesn't work anymore and for some reason it's off the servers. That's always my my fear. So again, investing in that is very difficult for me to do. Well, let me blow your mind right now. One of the things that we talked about with James Portnow and uh, Sid Bolton, there doesn't exist the technology anymore to pull some old games off their floppy disks and preserve them. What you ca- did, you can't do that, or you can you you cannot do that because some of the games that were coded no longer work in current day oh, coding, wow. and there's no drives that will support the reading of which into the software that has progressed so far today. I was going to say too. When's the last time you saw a computer with a three and a half inch floppy in it? Yeah, or a five and a quarter. Crazy. I guess I'm just trying to blanket as like you know, let's all just love each other, like music, right? It's like rock and roll. I don't. Say you know seventies rock, eighties rock. It's all just, just rock. So my 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 point to that is, and yeah, we we all should just love music for whatever music we love. But it's important to have that music around. So yeah, we can't love the physical form and then and then also shun the stuff that we don't like because that'll get lost as well unless we take archival procedures to you know safeguard that as well. So even in the physical stuff, it can disappear just like the digital stuff. Well, then, see, that responsibility is on the owner of the physical artifact. So that that I don't worry so much about. Does that make sense? If I own the games, it's my responsibility to take care of the games. Yeah, but if your Xbox dies and you have all the Xbox games on the shelf and you can't find an Xbox anywhere, but you, then how is that you, your responsibility? You will be able to find an Xbox. You no, w- no way. No, never. Not an Xbox One or the first Xbox. Those are impossible to find. Yeah, I, I just found three under the steps while you were saying that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I found one in my refrigerator drawer by the hose I drank from. Refrigerator door, yeah. Guys, we're going to talk about what retro games are well-equipped to do when it comes to uh, tournaments, when it comes to esports, when it comes to Twitch streams. What do you guys see as being the legitimate challenges for retro games in terms of pulling you know, sort of a global audience as far as entertaining people with streams, entertaining people through your sports tournaments. What are the legitimate challenges that face retro games? For for me personally, I would say current gen gamers, like the younger gamers, would say graphics. 
they'd look at something like you know Mega Man the original and just be like Ugh. you know it's like a cartoon but like a really badly drawn cartoon so I can see this new generation being all about the graphics and not wanting to watch something as primitive looking as say you know Space Invaders I would say uh, finding the relevance in it for the broader you know populace why is it relevant that I'm watching Mega Man or Mario the originals instead of the new stuff so there would have to be an effort to make it noteworthy above and beyond the legacy. But you ask what retro games also do well, and that's that there's an existing legacy for each of them, which also complicates the situation that they are known so well. So you have to have the wizards really competing in them because they have been around to study for years and years and years. I was going to ask if you thought familiarity was an issue. Like, it's, is it just that people have seen it It's a it blessing before? and a curse. So, like, it's people have seen them, so, like, what is new about it? But at the same time, everybody has played them, so there's that instant level of communication. Like, when you watch Mason play Mario 3, you know the levels he's playing, but you have no idea what he's going to do within those levels to get as many points as he's going to get. That's when it becomes about, like, awe and wonderment. So, Jay, Rob already touched on this a bit with his answer, but what do you think are the things that retro games do well? to entertain a mass audience that way. If you're talking about something like broadcasting on Twitch, um, I think the difficulty level of most retro games is a lot higher than current games. Now, I might get shot for this, but that's just what I think. I think popping in an NES game um, or something, you know, on the Atari 2600 is just a lot more difficult and grueling I mean, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about PvP. I'm not talking about Counter-Strike facing other guys. I'm talking about you against the AI. You take, you know, the new Batman game. Yeah, sure, it looks great, but you pop it in and you're done in, like, a half an hour. There's, like, no replay value whatsoever. I always wanted to talk to John about that. What Arkham game is half hour, John? You tell me that, John! Yeah, he loves it when they call good. him Big Pompa. <laughs> Big Pompa. Beats it in 30 minutes. What styles of retro games do you guys think are best suited to modern game streams or esports competition and why? Those are two different questions. Which which retro games appeal to, to streams and which ones are good for esports competition? Then give me your separate answers. I enjoy watching the side scrollers like the Mario speedruns. Um, a little bit newer retro, if that's a thing. I love watching the huge quest games like Zelda because of the complexity of the games and the amount of brain power it takes to go through and collect everything and have every single move you make count. I think uh, the platformers are fun to watch in terms of speedruns because there are so many little things that you have to do in a, in, perfect all along the way. It, the the difficulty compiles because you're trying to execute so many small things together versus you have to do so many small things together in order to get the final result versus maybe something like something like Orcarina where yeah the rolling backwards does help the overall thing but you don't know how well you've done until you've really got to the end unless you're keeping track of you know your different checkpoints and stuff like that i think competition games games that are you know player versus player or player versus uh, ai like a sports game like ice hockey right that'll always be fun to watch because you never every game will always play differently within that sandbox construct of how the game plays out uh, i dig it i always wanted to see rob and i think you and i should do this i always wanted to see 
two dudes play Pong that were like really, really, really good at it and just see the very basics of video games, the very beginning, the most basic concept, you know, shoot the ball in the hole or whatever Pong is, you know, get it past the other guy. It's so basic, but I always wanted to see that. That's one of the things I mentioned in, when I threw the, the topic past Glenn about, you know, is there room in esports for retro titles? You know, let alone the NES in the 16-bit era, but like, what about Pong? Could you have a Pong tournament and stream it on Twitch and get viewership? Do you remember there was a long time ago um, when you and um, Mike did that uh, play Rogue Squadron for 24 hours film that you made? Uh, I was actually talking to to Mike about that a few years back and we were going to do a 24-hour Pong thing. Just have Pong going for 24 hours and just have, I think it was Will at the time, the three of us just switch in and out. Whoever won would stay in and so on. Do that for 24 hours. I love that It's intense, man. man. It's intense. Uh, We actually did 12 hours with Rogue Squadron and then our good buddy John Zick and I did 12 hours for uh, Mario Golf on the GameCube. Ironically, infamously, the the night of the blackout in 2003 on the Eastern Seaboard, we tried to put our marathon on that day, and of course the blackout interrupted, if you guys remember that. So uh, marathon gaming over and over and over again is kind of fascinating from a psychological perspective. You can go into the depths of madness if you're not too careful. What? You mean like go way far down the rabbit hole? Maybe not Way come down back? the rabbit hole. Right. I know the first thing I thought about with retro games and competitive gaming uh, was fighting games. Uh, Because, for one, it's really, really easy to build a tournament around one. Secondly, if you're watching, as an audience member, if I'm watching a fighting game, it's really, really easy to communicate what's going on, right? You've You've got one person fighting somebody else, and while you may have really, really deep techniques or or complex moves being done. You can still get across what's happening. It's still still one person fighting another person, and it's really, really easy to communicate, and I I can understand that very easily. You've got all these very memorable characters, so even if I don't know the people playing the game, and I don't necessarily have an investment in either of the people playing the game, you can still latch onto those characters here and there and and still kind of feel like you're pulling for somebody. And yeah. I think those are some of the things that make them really, really well suited and really naturally suited to that sort of um, style of entertainment, I guess. Have you ever watched a Street Fighter tournament? Either of you guys? No. Oh, which is weird because I was actually thinking about getting Evo tickets since it's in Vegas every year. Oh, man. I haven't, but I remember the Smash tournament from E3 a couple of years ago, and I did watch a lot of that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's intense, too. Um, the Street Fighter ones, you know, the dudes bring their own fight sticks and all that absolutely intense like the the guys in the tournaments come down the aisle like they have like it's almost like wrestling intros yeah it's like like boxers coming in yeah it's insane man and just to see what their hands are doing and they count frames which i understand what that is but i don't know how to do that (laughs) they count frames and that's how they you know counter and block everything it's just absolutely intense the uh the uh i think it's the korean starcraft tournaments too when I was doing research for the topic, I found an article that Red Bull had posted. And Red Bull obviously sponsors a lot of esports tournaments and a lot of competitive gaming tournaments. It was on five retro games that still get played in tournaments today that are still really, really big business for tournaments. Let's take a trip down memory lane and see if we can guess what those five games are. You're going to make him go up there, aren't you? 
Okay. Um, I'll go first. Bear in mind when I say retro, it doesn't necessarily mean like before two thousand ancient retro. Yeah. So like PS two down or even. Uh, it's it's pretty broad. I just don't want you to necessarily think it means it's all eight bit or sixteen bits. Okay, I'm gonna say, and I'll just throw the franchise out there instead of a specific sure. um, game. Grand Theft Auto. Not on that list. No. Okay. Marvel vs. Capcom. Uh, close, but no. Capcom vs. SNK. Also close, but no. Marvel vs. Marvel. <laughs> Street Fighter Two. Street Fighter Two Turbo. Ha <laughs> Uh, there's another one we just mentioned very, very recently. Mortal Kombat? Uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Not a fighting game. Call of Duty. Uh, Big in Korea. Goldeneye, <laughs> Perfect Dark. <laughs> Big in Korea. Starcraft? Yes. <laughs> oh, see, he said that. I didn't even catch on at the hint. He's <laughs> like, Big in Korea? I'm like, yeah. Uh, Big in Korea? <laughs> yep. Next. <laughs> yes, have some. How many we left? What's, uh, what's that's two on? of five. Oh, Ugh. oh, it's my go. Um, give me a clue. I forgot what we're guessing. What are we guessing? Retro Treehouse. These are five retro games that are still really, really big in tournaments that Red Bull kind of called out in this article. I read. Gotcha. Okay. Give me a clue. Um, we've also talked about this one already too. I watched the NHL, tournament. NHL '94. No. Oh, Smash. Yeah, Smash Melee specifically. Um, one of these you have already mentioned way back at the top of the show. Hang on, let me get Shooter. Call of Duty. Source? Counter-Strike? Uh, Counter-Strike, but not Counter-Strike Source. Oh, okay. Original build of Counter-Strike. Okay. There is one 16-bit game on here. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's there's one other 16-bit game on here because I guess Turbo is too. And you might be surprised at what it is. Super Mario Kart. For super, yeah, wow, why that one? Well, this is a this is why I wanted to bring this up. Take huh. those five games as examples and tell me why you think that those games are still relevant in a tournament sense. Well, for I mean, Mario Kart was the first of its kind. However, sixty four blew it away, and I still think sixty four is the best one. So I don't know that that one would be. I don't know. You guys might disagree, but for Mario Kart, I don't know. I think the the DS one is better, the one that came out after '64, just because it has the throwback tracks in it. Yeah, I think it just plays well, and the and the new ones are designed. But probably like in Mario Kart's case, and probably Turbo as well, they just kind of represent the pinnacle of that franchise. This is a discussion I had with Thor about Tetris, like why the NES version of the Tetris. There's just enough that it gets right across the board compared to other iterations that universally amongst the community it's voted as the most purest most competitive but maybe not necessarily the best so for mario kart maybe it's the tracks and the the character balance and uh i think the battle mode in super is very very important as well that's true yeah that's very true but as far as street fighter turbo goes the the gameplay is second to none it's so damn tight that game all right, well, that'll wrap it up for the main chunk of the show, unless you're a Patreon subscriber. And if you are, and we decide not to give this version for free, then after the sound of the warp pipe, you'll be joined by us once again with some more fun content. Everybody else, if you do want to become a Patreon sub, 
Patreon.com slash GamerCast. Only a buck per month. You get extended episodes every single week, plus a lot of other goodies. So please consider doing it. Uh, so that will do it for another edition of GamerCast. We are your three hombres, if you will. Southwest Standbuck, Ballantine, Bartlett, and Riggs, the Macaloo. Guys, it's been a pleasure. It See has. you next week. Jay? I feel it again. The call to the light. Call to the ginger. And Stannis Buck, Wayneville, Saucy Throat, Ginger Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. It. All right, we'll see you next time, guys.